0: Hi everyone, Anshul Desai from Delhi Path and the Responsible Travel Podcast. I am again, I'm still in Bali with a hot cup of Balinese coffee. It's very strong. I don't think I'm going to sleep tonight. Thanks to the nice guys at Living Seas Foundation. And This is the third podcast I am recording from Bali and uh, this is a very unique group. I'm with Leon who is the founder of Living Seas and uh, they are a group that are uh, looking towards sustainable travel including responsible diving and coral reef plantation that is that was a very unique concept where I heard of it. Enough uh, chat chat from my side. I would like to introduce Leon and get started with this podcast. And before we start, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on the platform you are listening. Hi, Leon. Welcome to Daily Passenger Responsible Travel Podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So, Leon, before we start, please share a little about yourself and what you do, what you like, and so I'm
1: Singaporean. I born and bred there. But I started diving in Singapore, which is not really known as a diving location. And every time I dive, I noticed that the reef wasn't getting much better. In fact, it was getting worse. Every time I would go back to a place after a year, after two years, and it doesn't look as good as it was. I always wanted to do something about corals. Divers generally they look for the big fish, the more charismatic uh, things like sharks, turtles, you know, cute stuff. But you know, the corals are where all these animals live. And if we don't care about the corals, eventually these animals will not have a habitat to live in. So, I, I, I felt that someone needed to do something about coral. Uh, so, in 2010 or 2011, I actually saw a bleaching uh, event in Phuket which was very bad. I mean, I, I went to dive this reef, end of 20, 2010. I went back again early 2011. Like two, three months later, and everything was dead. So, all the fish were gone, the reef was dead, it was covered with algae, and that had made a very uh, deep, visceral impact on me. And I knew I wanted to do something. Else. So, from that point, I, wondered, I started studying corals, uh, I started joining projects. Then, I expanded into Bali in 2011, 2012, uh, started doing experiments with coral in uh, 2015, started growing our own corals. And then 2017, 2018, found this current uh, methodology that we're using right now. And it's growing really well. Come pandemic, there's no tourism, no travel. So we decided to switch focus and really concentrate on growing out our reef. Uh, And then today, we have almost 2,000 square meters of reef restored. uh, 3,000 over structures that we've installed underwater. So
0: that's, uh, that's really good. That's pretty interesting and uh, something that uh, is very important in today's time because as Leon said that uh, you cannot see fish if their home is gone. It's uh, kind of uh, valid for every uh, living being along with us. I think uh, if uh, the way we are facing the issue of global warming, if our home is gone then we will also not exist. And Leon yesterday had invited me for a coral reef planting session that they did. But I kind of uh, hesitant and uh, not really confident about diving. I I could not join them. So, really, how was the yesterday's uh,
1: experience? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was good. I mean, coming now that the pandemic is kind of over and travel is back, one of the things that I've always wanted to do is to make coral reef restoration accessible to everybody. Uh, it shouldn't only be know I mean, for universities to do or for scientists to do. It should be for, you know, people need to know that the problem is there and I think ultimately it's also that there is a way to fix it. Uh, So yesterday we had 12 people, one of whom never dived before, so we had one of our instructors bring her down and then put her on the sand and you know she was planting her own coral, so that's pretty cool. Uh, The other 11 people were all divers and they found out about us from uh, Instagram, from friends and they all decided to join us uh, yesterday. So, the general feedback is, we all have fun. You know, it's something, it's a different kind of diving when you go down and do something. And everyone's looking forward to come back again and see the columns that they've planted and see how they've grown over you know one or two years.
0: Travel with a cause is a new uh, in-thing these days because uh, there have been surveys like some renowned platforms including Lonely Planet where I've heard that people want to travel sustainably but they don't know how or uh, where they should start with. So always look for uh, these kind of groups, associations who are doing something more important along with giving you a travel experience. So like, uh, you go with trekking groups that actually also help in removing garbage from the mountains. Similarly, Leon and his team is uh, planting corals. So next time you are planning a diving activity. Uh, maybe look, look them up online and then book a trip with them. So when I could not attend this uh, coral diving session, I was just talking to a couple of divers I met in my last hostel in Kuta. And they actually told me that I don't really know, uh, need to know how to swim or diving. So <laughs> I kind of uh, regretted that why I didn't come. Are you also travelling for coral plantation outside of Bali or currently you are only doing this in Bali? So we started a new
1: project in Lombok, which oh is the neighbouring island. Mind. Uh, it's about a six-hour ferry ride, and uh, we drive across the island. So in a Bermuk, we started uh, a small plantation. Uh, this is with uh, collaboration with another organization. So we planted that in June, and pretty much end of the year, we'll go back to see how everything is growing. You know, we're all hoping everything's growing very nicely over there. Uh, but yeah, so we are also starting another project uh, in another part of Bali as well. So, yeah, hopefully that kicks off next
0: year. And is there anything happening in Thailand or Singapore as well? Since At the moment, no. Uh, people have been asking me to come to Thailand to see if we can start
1: something up. My friends there who run dive centers. But I think uh, legal and government uh,
0: approvals are proving difficult to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand. Like uh, taking a, an, an initiative like this also requires a lot of logistics and uh, yes. paperwork and all that. Uh, it doesn't, It is not as easy as, as it sounds uh, when uh, when we are recording a podcast. Yeah. I am in Bai right now. When I was coming to Bali, I haven't even heard of this place. So, apparently, people come here to take their boats and uh, take boats for nearby islands. It's more pristine compared to the other beach places where I uh, stayed. But yeah, the tourist footfall is very high. And I hope when you are coming here to dive with uh, living seas or anything. Or uh, to travel to nearby islands, make sure that you don't bring any plastic, or uh, and travel responsibly. So, uh, Leon, you started diving almost two decades ago, yeah, right? Cool. And so, what in your observation, what is the reason that that leads to uh, dying of corals? There's
1: quite a few factors, I think.
0: Uh, what
1: I've seen, you know, in my two decades of diving, of course, when we dive, we go to a lot of the diving locations, and you know, tourist impact is high. You know, as long as humans are in the water, we, are, we go out with boats, we uh, impact the water through chemical pollution, you know, uh, sunscreen, which is chemicals, uh, the boats leak oil, you know, so all that impact kind of adds up. You know. uh, also boat anchoring, uh, fishing activities, all these are related to tourism in a way. Uh, fishing has always been part of island communities, you know, local communities depend on the ocean for their protein. So even Padanggai was a fishing community all along. But I think last time, they didn't go out with so many boats. You know? Because of the influx of tourism, then you get a lot more activity. And over time, when the reef gets damaged, uh, plus climate change, you get bigger storms, bigger waves, all the damage to the reef which causes rubble eventually moves around and damages the, the reef next to it. So over time we get this thing called desertification whereby the impact of the reef has now expanded and is damaging the good reef next to it. And then fast forward that another, another decade or so and now the whole reef is gone. So I think uh, small impacts like a, like an infection that you have on your skin and you don't you don't deal with it. You don't fix it. Uh, eventually, it will
0: spread, and that's what I—that's that's what I've seen myself. Like. Yeah, a pretty nice analogy. I a small issue in the nature leads to a bigger issue. Like uh, if we don't uh, put out a small forest fire, the entire forest will burn. That's uh, similarly how. Similarly, the reasons why coral is dying right now. So, Liam, how what all things you do to replant a coral uh, during your so, what, yes. what we found is that,
1: you know, the coral wants to live, life finds a way, you know. We, we see coral growing uh, during the pandemic. You know, there was no human impact, no tourism, no boats were going out. And in certain areas that are very heavily trafficked, we actually saw the coral, you know, growing back on its own. Now that tourism is back, now it's all getting covered with sedimentation again, and, and corals are dying again. So, what I find is that nature is so... Uh, rich and it's so it wants to live you know in, in Asia anywhere you go you can see stuff growing in the soil even though you don't want it to grow you know and grow quickly so corals in the water are the same way so yeah the reef wants to find a way to live and you know if people don't care and don't do anything there's no intervention done then the pacification continues so by what we do is we put in structures, uh, that help to elevate the coral away from the seabed, away from the sand which is moving around in the waves. So when we do that, we found that when we attach a coral to it, and the, the structure is made in a way that is conducive for coral to grow on. So in about a month, we find that the coral has started to, to attach itself permanently to the structures themselves, coating on the metal structures. And after about three months, they grow beyond they look significantly bigger than how you planted them. By six months, they are almost touching the next coral, which is uh, normally about 15 cm away. And by one, one and a half years, they completely cover the structure, so much so that you don't even know that it's uh, artificial, right? that it was planted. It looks like a natural reef. So, all these uh, things that we do, I mean, it's not,
0: we're just helping the coral to grow better. Uh, that's pretty much it. So, This is continuing even after tourism really started. And it's not a thing that uh, was happening during the pandemic itself.
1: So, what happened where we placed outside is actually a place, a site where nobody uh, used to Uh, die. It was completely destroyed. I think they did trawling there before, so they completely wiped out the reef. Uh, So, nobody would go there because there's nothing to see. No fish live there, not much to go there for. So, not heavily traffic, which is good, which is why we wanted to put it there. So, there's not so much impact from people. Now, our site is relatively big, so people are starting to go there. But I think because they can see the structures underneath and they recognize that okay, this is an artificial reef, uh, people are a bit more aware.
0: And I-, I like
1: to think that people look at it and say, oh, okay, this is. This is important that people are caring enough
0: about it, so I shouldn't do it Yeah, yeah, obviously. And I think that uh, the awareness regarding various aspects of responsible travel in Bali is a little more compared to other uh, beach destinations. Because I have have been planning to come to Bali before the pandemic and then the plan got cancelled and then it kept getting delayed. But what I had seen when I was researching back then was like popular beaches of uh, Bali laden with plastic. I don't see that kind of trash pollution, uh, trash issue now. Even people, the shopkeepers, even the small shopkeepers don't give you plastic bags most of the time. Uh, Similarly, I think the fishing communities and the small boat owners, they also know that uh, uh, how they can help in uh, preserving as much as they can. Obviously, they too have to sustain their living. But I'm really glad at some place, some tourist destination in the world, it is more Prevalent, and I hope that this practice uh, catches on, and uh, the messages, message of uh, people like Leon, Living Seas, goes to other places as well. Let me let me add
1: on to that a little bit. Uh, the thing about Bali this is, it's a very spiritual place, and people here, Hindu culture here, they grow up with three tatarana, which is basically people, earth, and spirits. So. The earth and the environment is very much part of the culture, very animistic in that Uh, spirits are everywhere. Um, So people tend to care a little bit more about the environment naturally. But what the problem is, is that there isn't any formal municipal waste management system. So I think even though people in Bali can care about the environment uh, fair bit, they are hindered by the lack of a proper waste management system. Because it's not developed by the government. Uh, There's no waste collection in most places. So, you know, bins are not easy to find. So even though people want to throw their trash properly, they're not given avenues or ways to do it effectively. So as a result, people tend to dump or throw it wherever they can in the hopes that someone will come and pick it up at some point. Sadly, that doesn't happen. So uh, that's why Bali is facing uh, a facing, uh, plastic problem. But you know, sadly, it doesn't happen all the time. So, you know, the trash tends to pile up. And it's quite sad, which is kind of why, you know, a lot of the trash actually comes from tourism. Because when people travel, they don't necessarily have you know glass bottles or carry their own bottles so you know the easy thing to snack on the easy thing to buy is you know the plastic water bottle uh, it's kind of the reason why we open up a zero-waste store it's the first zero-waste store in bali uh, in uh we kind of want to cater this to locals but also to tourists so they can refill their water bottles next door they can buy shop and sand pool you know recycle plastic bottles we collect the water bottles that Fastboats give to the guests, so they tend to go straight to the trash, but we kind of recycle them. So, you know, a few ways are there. I think, you know, speaking specifically about how to make travel sustainable, is for people to look out for
0: places like that. Yeah. And what is the name of your store? Uh, Topo Anti Plastic to yeah. no, nice, <laughs> nice nice that means that we have another for- podcast episode in future about your DC waste is to maybe yeah. someone else from your team can join and uh, talk about it yeah. really nice really nice i think uh, the more local businesses and business owners know that uh, what things are in their control they will be they will be more aware and they can uh, reduce their personal waste in more effectively and uh, Because I think that the nearest recycling or management centre is in Java, so you cannot transfer all the waste there without. I mean, we started this shop
1: because we kind of do it ourselves. We buy a bulk and then we fill up for our own consumption. But then it kind of makes sense to open it up to other people as well. Because looking at the Bali's waste management problem, there's no one to collect. So the only, uh, the best way to deal with it is to not use the plastic in the first place. You know, reduce consumption side. So that you don't have to deal with the waste later on. Uh, we are actually developing uh, uh, revamping the waste management here. It's going to institute a collection system house to house. You know, so we're hoping in the next few months we can get that started and uh, it will work well. think mean, getting the locals to buy into that will be interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. When you go for a coral plantation session, how is that day normally? Like how do, you, how do you educate tourists and how they understand what mission they are going to be a part of? So we do a lot of stuff on Instagram,
1: which is I think where it really starts. So we post a lot about our activities and what we stand for and what we are trying to do on Instagram. People, it, it seems to be resonating with people quite well, so then they make a cooking. We meet in, at by the beach. Uh, we meet at the beach at 8am. So everyone sets up their gear, gets ready to go. My guys will be loading the boat. Uh, and then we do a briefing. So we talk about how to plant the corals, why we're doing it, why it's important to do it, and then get everyone excited for the day to come. We head out on the boat at maybe 9 a.m. And first thing we do is lower the structures into the water and start to build a reef. So by building the reef, I mean we connect the structures to the existing like, other structures on the seabed so that it forms a nice uh, mesh network that's uh, very nice and secure. Then we get everyone to come down and then we prepare corals that uh, we keep in storage. Uh, fragment them into slightly smaller and then we attach them using cable ties to the structures. <coughs> Each structure can fold up to 18 corals. So. Uh, yesterday we planted almost thirty structures. So everyone does two dives. First dive, we go down. We give them a little bit of orientation underwater to show them how to we demonstrate how to plant a coral, where they plant it. And after that, it's kind of we let them do their thing, you know. And, and people were staying down. We're doing it really shallow now, maybe about five to seven meters deep. So everyone's staying pretty long. A few the guys stayed down for almost one and a half hours to a dive. Uh, they go up to the boat after that have lunch chill out for a little bit and then come back in for the second dive so second dive is pretty much about cleaning up so we cut off the ends of the table ties, we bring that back for recycling uh, make sure that every uh, part of the reef is covered we also look for any dead corals on previous planted stars and we try to change that into new corals live corals so all in all pretty good day we got back at two o'clock Everyone took a shower, went back,
0: chilled out and then had a nice dinner after that. That's cool. And how many uh, such trips have you done this year?
1: Every, uh, we go out to plant every two weeks. Oh. So it's quite a regular thing. So in fact we have uh, people, someone going out today as well. Just uh, one guy. Today is maintenance day so it's not, we're not planting new structures but we're cleaning up the older structures and you know Cleaning it from algae or sponges or other organisms that, that compete with the coral for space. Uh, we're also, replacing dead corals with new corals, bringing back all the old cable ties to recycle as well. So, uh, we, we're doing this every two weeks now because we want to create an activity that you know anybody can come and join. Uh, the more we can do this, the more people we can impact, then the, the faster the message goes out, which I think is great for corals. Yeah. Because I think one of the important things is. is when we get to talk to people about this, traditionally, divers look at corals as background. Yeah. Like when you walk in the forest, you don't care about the grass, do you? You yeah. look at the trees. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of the same thing. People are forgetting that the grass, you know, in this case, the corals, but arguably, coral is more important than the grass because that's where everything lives. So, you know, by introducing people to this activity, our hope is that wherever else we go to dive, whether it's Raja Ampat, Komodo, Thailand, they care a little bit more about the corals and don't damage the corals there. So hopefully we leave, you know, these people come and join us and learn about corals and they leave here with a little bit more care in their hands for the coral, a little bit more appreciation for next time.
0: Yeah, I have seen videos of like commercial diving, it really pisses me off uh, seeing people not really following set of rules. But I think it's also the responsibility of diving company to make sure that uh, we are not damaging the environment where they are conducting, conducting these activities. Um, because if uh, the coral won't be there, the fish won't be there. I and mean, when the fish won't be there, then we will conduct the diving.
1: Yeah. I think traditionally, uh, having been in the industry for a long time, traditionally, this was never a thing. Like, you know, people just dive and do whatever they want without any care for it. So a lot of companies, I mean, there are companies that do well with this. They're a bit more eco-conscious and care a little bit more about the environment. But I think the mindset of someone coming as your customer and who doesn't dive well, it's difficult for a lot of local people yes. to tell them, hey, you're doing this wrong and you know you need to do this better so that you don't damage the corals." So, I mean, being from Asia, you understand how that works. Yes. It's, it's uh, not easy to speak up from. Some wrong yeah. Yeah. So that's probably one of the reasons why a lot of companies still persist and uh, damaging. So I think uh, for the listeners out there, if you're looking for a live company, uh, make sure you, you know, have your own personal standards. Yeah. It's not only the uh, responsibility of the company, uh, but I think it's a personal uh, responsibility as well.
0: Yeah, you need to be a good tourist rather than waiting for someone to come and tell you how to travel. You don't need a poster to hear that uh, don't throw plastic away. You should not use plastic in the first place. Like we have spoken, we have talked about this uh, thing in the past on this podcast. The best way to avoid an issue like this is to stop it at its origin. So that's what uh, Leon and his team are doing and that's what a lot of other groups are doing. So Leon, lastly, so what, how has been your journey so far? Uh, how, what challenges do you specifically face when you are doing this?
1: Um, I mean, switching from a tourism business to a NGO kind of uh, funded grant model uh, was a bit tricky initially because I didn't know how to do it. Uh, luckily during the pandemic, there was a lot of time to figure it out. Uh, now we've got a good, few good partners who care about the cause as much as us. So one of the big things really is funding. You know, because this is not something, uh, environmental causes are not something you can get an ROI on. So companies generally don't want to fund it unless there's something in it for them. So, which you know, from a CSR point of view, it's really about uh, the green marketing. So, I think we're very lucky in the sense that um, it's now the ESG trend has hit. So, people are caring more about sustainability from a corporate perspective. But the problem is that people don't uh, know enough. It is such a new thing that a lot of managers don't realize how to put their money to good use. Uh, in fact, a lot of the, the news that we hear is really centered around carbon. yeah, uh, Net zero, carbon decarbonization. And a
0: lot of these are also PR activities, don't add anything. Because,
1: exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think the comparison here is uh, carbon is It's intangible, it's very abstract. How much carbon do you use? How much carbon can you reduce in the end? As long as you're living, breathing, uh, consuming, you are producing carbon dioxide. So if you ask me that's not good enough. Uh, I think we as a human race need to move to uh, a model where it's more action-oriented, where you take action and grow something, regenerate something, restore something, uh, and bring things bring biodiversity back yes that I feel should be where you know ESG funds go into impact projects that, that you know make a difference that you can see a tangible difference whereas you know uh, if you just focus on carbon then you know you're, you're just moving the carbon around people are still going to there's no way to get to absolute zero
0: that's what I believe I have worked with uh, mountain cleaning groups and while they have made sure that the Amount of waste that uh, that is generated in touristy areas comes down. It's still there in a way or another. So you cannot get 100% rid of it if you don't uh, stop it at its source. Exactly. And uh, the other uh, thing is that uh, mm-hmm. as you must have, we are recording this podcast in the month of July. The July month is coming to an end. But as a lot of uh, scientists and associations uh, said, have said that uh, July was the hottest month of in, in many, many years. So this will only continue if, you, if we don't act, if we don't make our uh, travel more regenerative, more transformative rather than just adding places to the bucket list. It's not going to uh, do anything to our planet or our, our, our personal life or the future generations to come. That's a very good point. And with this, we have come to an end of this episode. You can connect with Leon and Living Seas on their social media handles. You can look for livingseas.asia on Instagram or livingseas.foundation. And uh, you can also stay updated with their upcoming dives on the Instagram and also on the website. All the links along with my social media handles are mentioned in this episode's description. So make sure that the next time you're coming to Bali and you want to dive, indulge yourself in an activity like this. Make sure that you give this episode and the podcast a 5-star rating on the platform you are listening so that it catches more attention. With this, I like to bid goodbye. This was Anshul, I was with Leon and uh, I will be back with a new guest and the new host soon.